0: Good morning. The scripture reading for this morning is Galatians 3, 1 through 14. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if, really, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, The person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our speaker this morning is uh, Steve Yang. He is a
1: minister in the East East Boston uh, section of our city. Uh, he's a married and also a father of two. but I think most importantly, he is a child of the king. Amen. Amen. Wow. Amen. So without further ado, here is our preaching. We are continuing our series. Uh, in the book of Galatians, and Steve is going to enter us into chapter 3. Good morning, everyone. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for uh, this opportunity to uh, come back and uh, study your word and to um, allow your spirit to work in me and to show me ways in which I need to be changed and transformed, and to see Jesus. And this opportunity that's given to me to make Jesus sweet for people cannot be manufactured, cannot be done by me, must be done by you. And so Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit to make Jesus beautiful for me and for us, and for your Holy Spirit to connect each of our hearts to and to hear exactly what we need to hear, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I do think that one of the greatest movies of all time focuses on the wrong character. And I'm talking about Shawshank Redemption. And you may have seen Shawshank Redemption. And you may think the movie is about Andy Dufresne and the great redemptive story. And it is about that. And it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful movie. But the character that really grips me is a a peripheral character named Brooks. Brooks. When we see Brooks, we see that he is a 50-year-old man in prison, or he's over 50. He's been in prison for over 50 years. This is a long time. And we find that he is quite accustomed there. He's been there for a while, and he knows his way around. He is well-liked by everybody. And we see that he even has a job in the prison library. One day he gets the news that after 50 long years in prison, he is now going to be released. But something is not right. You don't see Brooks jumping for joy. You see Brooks terrified. You see that he even grabs a knife and puts it at his friend's throat. Just maybe then they'll let him stay. And finally, when he is released and walks out of the doors of Shawshank, you see that he is a man who is still not free. You see that he has a difficult time adjusting to the life outside the prison walls. He has a difficult time keeping up with the pace of life, with his job. And before he ends his life, he writes a letter to his inmates one last time. And he writes this He says, I have trouble sleeping at night. I have bad dreams, like I'm falling. I wake up scared. Sometimes it takes me a while to remember where I am. Maybe I should get me a gun and rob the foodway so that they'd send me back home to Shawshank. I don't like it out here. I'm tired of being afraid all the time. I have decided not to stay. A free man, but far from feeling free, more scared of what's outside the prison walls than what's inside. Now, I resonate with Brooks because I know what it's like to be terrified, terrified of the unknown, terrified of what's to come tomorrow. Will they ever find a vaccine? Will, we, will life ever be back to normal? We are terrified these days. I mean, uh, I mean it's, it has threatened our economic well, well-being. It's, uh, COVID-19 has threatened our way of life as we know it, our communities. It's hard for us to get together we're doing church this way and it's kind of weird for me will life ever get back to normal I mean some of us are at home and we have now become not only parents but teachers uh, babysitters uh, you, you name it the list goes on life is not normal and we are terrified of what's to come in fact if you're like me you might be frantic and when we're frantic, we're trying to find a way. We're trying to find a way to figure it out. Every morning I get up, press the news button, and I'm like, oh, no, i got to get up again. But I've got to make this work. I've got to do whatever I can to chip in, to move the ball forward, and to do well in my job and provide for my family. We're trying to find a way. Um, but, you know, every morning we get up, we're wondering, is this the month that things get better? Or is this the month that we finally get furloughed? Is this the month that Life returns back to normal. Or will schools ever come back? And we are a people who have been freed. Paul says, if you are in Christ, we have been freed. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. But if we are honest with ourselves and an honest assessment of our lives, we will see that there is a gap between the free life we envision or the free life that we are intended to have, we're supposed to have, even if we're not a Christian. The free life we're supposed to have and the life we actually live. And like brooks we find ourselves returning back to Shawshank but Paul intends to, for us not to be there not to live a foolish life but to live a free life and he gives us two ways in which we can live one is to live foolishly and another is to live as freely so that's my two questions for us this morning how do we live foolishly and how do we live freely first how do we live foolishly how do we live foolishly now, we're trying to do whatever it takes, doing our part to make life work by what we produce, by what we contribute, by making life work on our own terms. But by doing so, we would gravitate back towards Shawshank. Paul says in Galatians 1, You foolish Galatians! Exclamation point! Who has bewitched you? Question mark, question mark, question mark i like Eugene Peterson's translation because it brings out the, the uh, emotions better. You crazy Galatians! <laughs> Did someone give you a hallucinatory drug? And he uses the word bewitched, which is an interesting word choice. Bewitched! I mean, that would have certainly raised an eyebrow because that word is found in sorcery. It's a word used for witchcraft. He is saying... Surely you must have some sort of hex on you. You're spellbound. You're not seeing clearly. You're not acting like you're supposed to be. Has someone bewitched you? Because Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now the recipients of this letter never saw Jesus on the cross. It would have been too late for that. Uh, But they clearly saw Jesus as being crucified. Meaning the gospel that Paul brought to them became sweet. They saw their desperate need for the gospel. That they were hopeless, blind, destitute, without hope outside of Christ. That Jesus himself was the only lifeline that they had. And it was sweet. It was good news. It made their hearts rejoice. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. And they saw it. And yet... Here they are, being led astray. False teachers, Paul says, these false teachers are leading you astray. These false teachers of the, the Judaizers were discrediting Paul, first of all, saying, who's Paul anyway? I mean, what authority does he have? And so the first two chapters, you see the Apostle Paul defending his apostleship and saying, look, I received the apostleship and authority from Jesus. And the teaching, this gospel I brought to you is from the Lord Jesus. And in Galatians 3, he brings this gospel and says uh, he comes to the Galatians and says, Who bewitched you? Who threw you off course? Because these false teachers are throwing you astray. Because the message I had brought to you was clear. Jesus. Jesus is the only lifeline that we have. These false teachers, the Judaizers, were saying something similar to Paul, but really... I mean, it was similar enough or it threw them off course, but it was so backwards. It sounded similar because they were using the same language. Jesus this and Jesus that. In fact, they would have agreed with Paul on many points. They would have said stuff like, yeah, Jesus was a good idea and Jesus had to have come. He was absolutely necessary. But where they differed from Paul was they would have said, although Jesus was necessary, he was not sufficient. If you really want to get to the next level, if you really want to progress, if you really want to arrive and make it in life and know that you're part of the club and that you're safe and that you're worth the salt, is that you've got to become more Jewish. You gotta get more circumcised, you gotta get circumcised, and you've got to obey the Mosaic law. So the Apostle Paul says, Are you so foolish? I mean, I mean, even the apostle Peter and Barnabas or led astray. I mean, this is some... If we think that we are immune to the same issues that the Galatian problem had, I mean, we got to think again because this is a really dire problem that can even throw any of us astray. The Galatian syndrome, the heart of the Galatian syndrome is trying to finish the race ourselves. Paul says, are you so foolish? After beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of... Of the flesh. that word finish means uh, what you think it means. To cross the finish line. It means to to complete. It means to make perfect. It makes to, to If you think of Jerry Maguire, what does he say? He says, you complete me. Our hearts look to something, to someone to say, you complete me. Now what do we use? What do we look to? To say, I finally made it. I am now somebody. I've arrived. To what do we say it I can look in the mirror now and be okay with myself. Maybe it's a promotion at work or recognition. You get kudos from our employers, employees. Uh, Maybe it's respect from our spouse or a loved one. Finally, we feel seen. Maybe it's uh, to, to make it into school, a certain program, to have financial independence. A lifestyle of leisure and be able to take your kids from family places? I know that's one of mine. But where do we look to to say Jesus is not enough. I need to add a little something something. Where do we believe Jesus is not enough, enough in our lives? Uh, the Judaizers uh, if they, would, they would have said stuff like it's up to you you've got a you are the kicker. Jesus is a good idea, but the kicker, the difference maker is what we do. And as a people, I believe that we are uh, obsessed with productivity and progress. What is it going to take for us to become the better version of ourselves? To to make I might not be perfect today, but to get to that next level for today. And one of the things that is indicative of our culture is if you go to Barnes and Noble, the biggest section besides Starbucks and stuff for sale is The self-help books. You know, seven ways to become a better this, better that, how to be more organized, and how to get sticky notes, um, apps, and calendars, and whatever it takes to become more productive, better. You know, um, how to become rich, how to to become more emotionally healthy. All these self-help books point us to one thing. It is up to you. In fact, I I, I read, uh, I've read some. And they would all have something in common. They say stuff like, if you don't do it, if it's not, the difference between you and somebody else is that you weren't lazy, that you took that next step and did it. You can do it. Just do it mentality. But the problem is, this way of trying to make life work ourselves just doesn't work. Well, last, uh, I guess this past week, I think, uh, I was putting my kids to bed. And I learned from my daughter that I'm actually the heavy favorite to put the kids to bed. I mean my wife is is good. I mean like like a babysitter is here. Mommy putting them to bed is here and daddy is up here. It's because daddy does a really good and thorough job of tucking them in. And it's because daddy tells really good daddy stories. Every day they'll say daddy story tonight, daddy story tonight. And daddy stories are just basically stories that I make up on the fly. In fact, I'll say, all right, whose turn is it to start? Who's the main character? And we'll do this choose your own adventure thing, and and whatever comes to my mind, I just spit it out. And usually I'm pretty tired at night, and I try to keep the daddy stories sweet, short, and simple. Um, But uh, when I heard, and learned that I was the heavy favorite. I had to. That night, I can tell you, the daddy story was absolutely lit absolutely lit because I had to outdo myself I had to outdo myself and you see it doesn't work because living life this way is like a mirage we never arrive it's a carrot on a stick the freedom that's promised that we seek for always eludes us it's a hamster wheel that puts us on a race with no finish line if we succeed it only raises the bar if we fail, we can hardly live with ourselves. And either way, we're back on the hamster wheel. And that is exhausting. Exhausting. And Paul would say that to live this way is to live under law. And we, and that is to live under a curse. Because it will only kill us. It will only exhaust us. We can't do it. So how do we live freely? There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way than this. We live freely when we trust that Jesus is enough. First, how do we live freely? Uh, First, we need to know the story. We need to know the story. Now, the so Paul uh, was speaking against the Judaizers because the Judaizers were looking to Abraham and saying, "Abraham is the man," and he was circumcised. And Paul would say, "If you want to look at Abraham, okay, let's look at." Let's look at the story of Abraham. But let's go back all the way to the very beginning. Because Abraham, before he had any sort of hustle, before he was legit, before he had any track record, before he had any inclination towards God, God came to him. Picked him out and gave him a promise. Through you, through your offspring, I will bring my plan of salvation, of redemption, and I will redeem a people through your error. And Abraham believed God and God took that belief and credited to him as righteousness and God said that faith was enough the faith in my promise was enough before even circumcision and Paul would say later if even 430 years later the law would come so the law and the circumcision can't be the prerequisite, the necessary ingredients to make us right and righteous and pure and and complete. So if you want to look at Abraham, let's look at the very beginning. And Abraham comes to God and says, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty lofty promise. Now, how can I believe that this promise will come true? Uh, last night I heard my daughter and son playing a game saying it's my turn. Oh, you said it was going to be my turn next. And it, but I never promised. I never promised. <laughs> Meaning, if I don't promise, it's, it's, not, it's not legit, it's not good enough. You can't count on it. How can I know I can count on it? I mean, when we are unsure if the other party who makes us a promise is going to follow through, what do we want? We want a handshake. You want, can we shake on that? Can we put it on paper? You know, Send me a sign. Let's get a lawyer. Let's figure this out because we want to know that the other party is going to be able to deliver on their end of the promise regardless of how they feel tomorrow. Regardless of whether or not I messed up or whether or not they feel like I deserve it tomorrow. How will I know that you will keep this promise? And God says, you want a contract? You want want something in writing? You want proof? You want to be convinced? I'll give you that very thing. And what God does is that He says, Abraham, why don't you go get some animals? You you know the drill. You know how to make a contract. Go get some animals and cut them in half. And God instructs Abraham to put animals in the walk. God, God, are we good? God asks Abraham to put animals, uh, cut them in half, and put them in a walkway, because everyone knew in that culture the way you made a contract. Is that you made it with blood and you would walk through the pieces together essentially saying if i don't keep my end of the bargain may it happen to me as been done to these animals but what is the most striking thing about this covenant that god asks that makes with abraham is that god waits for abraham to go to sleep and god himself alone walks through the pieces I mean, one of the reasons why I'm a Christian is because you just can't make this up. I mean, I can't come up with this. That God himself would say to Abraham, if I fail you, may the curse fall on me. And if you fail me, may the curse fall on me. And he took on the curse that Abraham would bring because he knew that if this covenant hinged on anything Abraham did or mustered up he would fail and God makes a unilateral promise and it's not insignificant that this promise was made to a barren man and woman because God wanted to make it crystal clear that this promise had nothing to do with whatever Abraham was able to contribute and bring to the table zip zero zilch none nada anio See, this is one of the reasons why I have a very difficult time with self-help books. And even Christianity is not immune from this culture. Because a lot of books, even in our Christian bookstores and our devotions, and in many pulpits in America, would point us to something other than Jesus. Sounds a lot like the Judaizers saying, Jesus was a good idea, Jesus is a good start, but now to get to the next level it's really up to you but you see knowing the story is to know that the story of the bible the gospel story the story that God has revealed and is telling and has told and has declared the proclamation that sets us free is that God has to do it and in Genesis 17 after decades after God makes the promise to Abraham They finally come up with circumcision as a sign to point to the necessity that God himself would need to be cut off by the shedding of his blood. Religion says, D-O. That's how religion is spelled. D-O. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. Good advice says, you need to jump higher, jump faster, swim longer. Good news says, christ portrayed as crucified christ crucified and it is enough good advice or religion or gospel imitations would take which to focus off what jesus has already done and put it back on what we need to do a false gospel takes the weight of what jesus has lifted and puts it back on our shoulders we live freely when we trust That Jesus is enough. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Second, we need to live, how do we live freely? Or how do we live freely? Second, we need to know our own stories. First, we need to know the story. Second, we need to know our own stories. Paul says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. I like how he says, I just got one question. And he asks like rapid fire five questions. <laughs> because for him it's the same thing. He's getting to the same point. He says, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by the means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, did God rescue us? As we recall our stories, if you are a follower of Jesus, or if you're not a Christian, how do we become a Christian? I mean, what's it mean to start our journey with Jesus? And when we start our journey with Jesus, do we come to God because we are so capable of ourselves? Does God rescue us because we are swimming? Or because we're sinking. Because you see, the way we start the race is exactly the same way we will finish. And a jockey doesn't get off his horse to, just to finish and cross the finish line with his own two feet. What is the, how did we get on this race to begin with? We came bankrupt. And God was our only lifeline in Christ. And Jesus had to become a curse for us we were reading earlier from Second Corinthians and we, we read you know, Christ who knew no sin became sin for us. God who knew no sin became sin for us, why? So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ didn't become have evil thoughts or He didn't become a murderer but God counted Him as a murderer because our sins were transferred to Him. And in the same way we don't become all holy and righteous. But we are made holy and righteous because through Christ, God counts us as righteous, as Jesus is righteous. We are absolutely pure and perfect and lovable. God cannot love us any more than He does right now. God cannot see us as more righteous than we are right now if we are in Christ because Christ became a curse for us. You see, what that means is that We don't have to finish the race ourselves. So we need to know our own stories. Do Do you know what your story is? Do you know how you're trying to cross the finish line? Paul says you were running so well. Who tripped you up? Who tripped you up? Where do we turn to to finish the race? Where do we have a hard time believing that Jesus is not enough? Perhaps it's when our financial ability is threatened. Or we might not get the respect that we crave. Or when our fun is threatened, I mean, it's hard to be stuck at home. And when we look at on Instagram and see all our friends doing all this cool fun stuff, it's like, Am I enough? Am I doing enough? Do I have enough? Am I doing a good job? And we're looking and craving for the verdict. I'm enough. I'm good. I'm righteous. We live freely when we trust that Jesus is enough. A couple years ago, we had a men's retreat. And in preparation for this men's retreat, we had uh, drinks in a movie. Actually, it's supposed to be a movie. Uh, the drinks part I added myself. Uh, but we were watching Gladiator. And the night before, we hosted. I was panicking and my wife saw me all frantic because I was looking for the right Blu-ray player that works so that we can put in the Blu-ray instead of the DVD Gladiator. Unfortunately, I didn't have a Blu-ray player that worked. The sound was crap. It was, it was not going to be quality and I was having people come over and what would that say about me? I was frantic because I was worried that I wasn't contributing enough to our group and a couple weeks after i reflected on this and this is what i wrote monday september 17 2018 that's 14 years after my conversion today i'm still a high achieving hard worker that's what you see but what you don't see is that i'm exhausted i'm always on i'm always performing everything i do is a performance this is a performance I'm always so anxious that I might not do a good job. One night I had some guys over to watch Gladiator and the crazy part was that our cat Luther had just died hours before the movie night but in spite of how I was feeling or what I was going through I have to make sure that the night was a success. I set up the sound system which had been off for over six months. I updated the Blu-ray player to be able to read the Blu-ray. When the Blu-ray player wouldn't play the Blu-ray, I panicked that I only had a DVD, and having a DVD might reflect poorly upon me. I found myself apologizing that we'd watch Gladiator only on DVD and not on Blu-ray. Even when I was supposed to be one of the guys and just be having fun, I'm always performing and always on. I always have to be the high achieving hard worker. I need to do everything in my power that everything is the way it's supposed to be. The cost is that I'm tired. I never feel like what I do is good enough. Evil has been hunting me for a really long time. I often feel a lot of shame and often feel as though everything is my fault. If things don't go right, it's my fault. I often feel as though I'm critical. If I can prove it's someone else's fault, then I protect myself from thinking it's my own. My wife often asks me, why does it always have to be someone's fault? I have a hard time hearing good job and feeling satisfied in what I did I have a difficult time appreciating my accomplishments I have a difficult time giving love because I'm always trying to prove I'm somebody and I have a difficult time receiving love because I'm never feeling worthy to be seen because I don't believe I did enough this cost me sleep friendship leisure it keeps me from being known in relationships I'm always second guessing and replaying in my head how I could have done things better or differently rather than enjoying the evening and relaxing. I have a difficult time believing God is pleased with me and really just enjoys me for me. I sometimes find that I don't have, if I don't have something profound to say, I just stay quiet. I'm always trying to protect myself from being caught stupid, ill-equipped. I'm always, always performing and always on and it's just tiring. Evil wants, to live, wants me to live in shame and exhaustion. Evil wants me to stay silent and feel alone. Evil wants me to be crippled with anxiety and to feel inadequate and hear the words not good enough. That's a tape recorder voice I hear over and over and over again. 14 years later After my conversion, and I still find I'm gravitating towards Shawshank. I wish I could tell you. It's all good now, baby. I can tell you that I'm still super frantic. I mean, these days work uh, has been struggling, uh, has been come in jeopardy because of all this COVID stuff. and I'm always panicking. Do I have what it takes to provide for my family? to hit my goals to put food on the table to go on trips to protect life as we know it i'm worried i won't be able to make life on my own what if i don't have what if what if i have to ask for help me what if i let others down what if i don't measure up what if i'll be seen as a failure you see understanding Our own story is to say my righteousness does not hinge on me as a father, as an employee or employer, as a husband. My righteousness is in Christ and He says I am righteous. He is enough and to trust and believe is to say what Jesus says of me is more true than what others say of me and what Jesus says of me is more factual than my own feelings about myself. When I was in college, when I came to Jesus in 2002 or 2004, I came finally understanding and realizing that I had nothing to bring to the table. I finally realized I had nothing. But nothing is all God needs. And when I finally found a life of freedom, this is what I wrote. Sunday, February 22, 2004 Lord, I thank you for joy. I am so joyful these days. Maybe it's because I have come to the grips that I am beyond hope morally and that Christ has paid for it all. Perhaps joy comes with that. Understanding the gospel. Wednesday, April 21, 2004 I know my track record. I know who I am. I don't deserve to be in the king's family. I got nothing on my resume. I really don't. But I have a hope. Not in something I did or purity I kept, something I pre- sermon I presented, Bible study I led or paper I've written, but my hope isn't for it is in him. Now that's freedom. That's freedom. That's how the story started i could not make life work i could not make life work on my own i had nothing to bring you know what the good news is that's still true today i still can't is that good news for you we live freely and we trust jesus is enough let's pray